Abed and all hope, listeners. You're listening to Radio Grognard, the OSR podcast about stuff, with your host, Glenn Hallstrom. Hi, folks. Old Man Grognard here. It's Monday. Happy Monday, if there is such a thing as a happy Monday. Hope you're all doing well. And first up, we have an email from DM Dan. And he says, Hi, Glenn. In one of your previous episodes, you had asked listeners for ideas to talk about your on your podcast. Listening to you has me taken an interest in Astonishing Swordsmen and Sorcerers of Hyperborea. Good choice, Dan. I see that the complete second edition is available for sale on DriveThru. I'm thinking about of I am thinking of getting it, but I would be interested in your thoughts on the game mechanics, ease of play, ability, and GMing. For you, what is your top five or ten things that you like best about the game? Thanks, and I enjoy your podcast. Best regards, DM Dan. Thank you, DM Dan, for that email. And well, I don't know if I have five or ten, but I can give you a few a few reasons. First of all, I don't know what edition you're coming from, if you're coming from any edition at all. I'm going to assume 5e, and I'm sorry about the assumption if it's wrong, but Astonishing Swordsman is what Jeff Talanian did, the author. What he did was he took first edition AD&D and basically rejiggered it to reflect more of the pulp fantasy era adventuring like Clark Ashton Smith, Robert E. Howard, Lovecraft. You've probably seen these names bandied about about it. And he didn't do all that many tweaks to it, really. He he may have changed a couple of things and a couple and renamed a couple of things. I know the uh, the physical stats like extraordinary skill they you have a strength test of strength, extraordinary test of strength, which is supposed to reflect these amazing feats that they, people like Conan do. And it's, I talked to him, he says, well, that's my way of saying Ben, saying ben Barsliff Gates, but that gives it a more, more of a flavor, and it just feels right. So he tries to immerse you in the flavor. Plus, the whole world of Hyperborea is in there. And you have that gazetteer to go by, too. But aside from that, the mechanics work like 1E. So if you have any familiarity with first edition AD&D, then you're home free, pretty much. You've got first edition AD&D in one book. And if you're, like I said, if you're coming from 5E, so there's a few things to get adjusted to, like descending armor class, and things like that, and also things like the bestiary in there. There are no dragons. There are no ogres, I recently found out, to much to my chagrin. And there are orcs, but they call them mountain apes, or, quote-unquote, in parentheses, orcs. So they work. And he also adds a few things like, oh, he's put a few Cthulhuid monsters in there, like the Great Race of Yith, and uh, Migo, the fungi from Yagoth, things like that. In in if you don't know anything about pulp fantasy, I think the, I've always found it interesting because Lovecraft is included in that. He is, but he's more weird fiction horror to me. 
but it's so funny because that people like Howard or Smith will take his works and treat it totally differently than he will. He's all about the cosmic horror. He's all about the things man was not meant to know, things like that. And Howard and Smith and the rest of them were all about the barbarian, the barbarian experience, I guess, the you know prehistory of the world, and when the time, as the as the Conan movie says, a time of high adventure. They're all about high adventure. So you have these Lovecraftian horrors in there, but most of the most of, practically all the time, there's no real sanity in there. I guess you have fear, but there's no sanity in there. So every once in a while. You'd see these monsters, and they're just there to beat up. They're just there to conquer. They're they're foul creatures from beyond the stars that we must stop their reign of terror. And, you know, just people like Conan throwing himself wholeheartedly with his sword at it and just going whack, 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 that kind of thing. That's the way they used to treat Lovecraftian horror, which I find fascinating because it's just a totally different take on his, on his mythos. But Cthulhu is... Cthulhu, he spells it Cthulhu with a K in here. I think copyright reasons. And it just has a flavor that it just evokes that kind of thing. That's what I love about it. It just evokes that kind of thing. And I can follow the, and the rules, like I said, if you know first edition, you pretty much know this book. Some things may be, be rejiggered a little but you can figure it oh that is supposed to be that that kind of thing so it's a real easy system to use and it'll give you oh days weeks months years of play with it and i also like the fact that there's so many classes and subclasses as opposed to more modern iteration where you have like kits prestige classes you know other things like that in fact fifth edition went back to just having classes which is nice i mean they got all this other stuff you don't have all this other bells and whistles that you have with 5e that i could do without that i really don't want to need need to deal with so there's that too it's just kind of a cut down version of first edition adapted to this and even if you don't use the book it would be a good source book for, say, a first edition or second edition campaign, or any other edition for that matter, it's a very easy conversion. I mean, really easy. You just got to basically change the armor, change the, uh, if you're going to use the later version, all you have to do is change the AC from descending to ascending, which is easy to do. And it's, I just love it. I just love it. Okay, well, thank you, Dan. Thank you very much. Now, I'm going to talk about, but I'm going to talk about adventure design again, and I, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to beat a dead horse about my how I do it. You know, do outlines instead of plots. Da 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 da. Because I kind of figured out by since I've been running this campaign, I've kind of figured out what it's all about as far as prep goes. Or writing the adventure at the table, for that matter. It's not... You cannot predict... Everybody knows it's, it's, it's a rule. It's pretty much given that you cannot predict what the players are going to do. So you try to make every contingency possible. So I try and throw that out. And what I do is create situations for the players to react to. And see how they react. You may have to change things in, in transit. 
while you're doing it, but that's the whole point of the game. That keeps you that keeps you on your toes too. This is all stuff I've said before. But the whole point of the thing is you cannot control the actions of the player characters, but you can control the actions of the NPCs, bad guys, monsters, etc. 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 And the whole thing is keeping your keeping your characters busy. And I'm talking about your characters, NPCs, monsters, bad guys. Keeping your characters busy. And that's to some people and to me it's it was a hard thing to do. It was it's it's still a little hard because I it's you try to make connections in your brain between things that you have laid out there. You have like here's what you can only do you can only plan one side's tactics. You can only plans one side plan one side's plan, idea, whatever, what they're gonna do. And that and you've got to you've got to A know what they're going to do, and B, know the NPC or bad guy well enough to know how they would react to any adverse input like the player characters interfering. And that's the whole crux of the matter right there. You got to know... How do I say it? You don't know what the players are going to do, but you got to know what the the bad guys are, are doing. Or the monsters of the NPCs. Yes, there's random encounters. Those happen. That basically, it gives the players something to fight if they don't have anything to fight. If they want to, you know, if you want to give them an encounter, and it also shows the players that hey, this is the real world. This kind of stuff happens. You go out in the woods where you know there's bears. You run into a bear. Well, hey, it's going to happen. So that's the whole point of random encounters. But they're not the be all and end all of the game. That's why I'm saying sprinkling random encounters is kind of fun, especially if they're traveling to and fro. Just give them something to do while they get there, before they get there. And, but you've got to know what the bad guys are doing. You got to know what they're doing and when the players interfere, what they're going to do next. So, if if you know what they're going to do next, if things go okay, first of all, when the bad guys plan. If things go according to plan, it's easy. You go A, B, C, D, you know, kidnap kidnap the princess, put her in your tower, hold her for ransom, this and that and the other thing. Now, you add those pesky PCs in there. Okay, kidnap the princess, put her in the tower. PCs are trying to break into your tower to get her out, and they do so. And they take her. What, are you, what is your bad guy going to do? That's how you do it. I mean, this is some of this is is GM one hundred and one. I know, but that the whole crux of planning for a game, an adventure, is the whole crux of the outline is what's your side going to do? What is your side doing? What's going to happen? I mean, you can put a time you can put a time limit on it, a time clock on it, and that's okay. But it, I'd rather do a little more freeform. I don't really like to keep track of time in my games but if it's important i will if it's important to this scenario because in x amount of days we're gonna kill this guy and you gotta save him because he's an ambassador to bumble whatever kingdom over there so you know you could do a timeline like time limit like that but you know you plan it loose plan your encounters and once you know what the bad how the bad guys what the bad guys are doing and if you got something, and you don't have to have a detailed plan. It might just be rob the bank and get away with the money. That's it. That That's a plan right there. 
Once you know a plan, your bad guys, then you can start picking holes in it and see where their weaknesses are, where the weakness in the plan is. And sometimes that doesn't become evident to you until the player characters start interacting with them. Then you start seeing what his plan is all about. You know what his plan is all about, but you see it, seeing it in action. Nothing survives. Um, what's his name? Uh, the, the guy who wrote The Art of War. Says, no plan survives contact with the enemy. Well, no adventure survives contact with the player characters. So, and th- to me, that's part of the fun. It's a Petri dish. You drop something in there and see what happens. A little, you know, okay. Say you have a Petri, you know, you've got a formula in here that works great. Take a, a drop of this other anti, anti-formula that are the PCs, drop it in there and see what happens. Yes, you have to ta- be on your toes. That's why I emphasize in prep having stuff like monster stats ready. And sometimes, sometimes you even have to, you even have to, just deal with the monsters, deal with the player characters with with new 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 threats that you didn't even know were going to be there, and all of a sudden you have to go either look in the book or make something up. And I've done both. And the first one, I do not like to do. I try to plan my prep so I do not have to crack a book. And I usually do it that way. I have all my monster stats ready here, and I have the adventure ready over here, and things like that. And that's the way I like to run it. But if the players throw you a curveball, they go to this area where there's a labyrinth and a minotaur, and you hadn't planned on them going into a labyrinth and a minotaur, you better have a minotaur ready at the end of it. And if it's not in your, your, your written-up stat blocks for the monsters, then... Either you crack that book open, or you just start playing it off the top of your head. And you just start pulling something out of your sphincter, you know what I mean? And it's, I, I'm that, see, that's my meat and drink right there, is improvi- improvisation. Because every GM has to improvise to a certain extent, because, like I said, you don't know what the player characters are going to do. So you have to go back and and find that monster and just play it out. I can pretty much. I've read enough monster stats to if it's a if it's your garden variety type of fantasy monster, I can ad lib a an, a decent encounter with them, and even with like special abilities. If I you know if I'm playing a uh, if I'm playing a hydra, you know you know about the heads and all of this stuff, or or maybe a van, I can even do like a low level vampire who has you know what standard vampire shtick is. And you can do it that way. Anyway. So, I hope that helps you guys. And I'm going to start my day. So, tell you what. If you want to talk to me about this, why don't you drop me an email at oldmangrognard at gmail.com. Or you can drop a voicemail on Anchor. And as little as 99 cents a month, you too can support this program. And I would thank you. And thank you to my supporters, Jonathan Dorja, Wendell Jessen, Oliver Shriek, Gilbert Soares, Soares. <laughs> now you told me how to, pro- you said I pronounce it right now, I'm going to pronounce it wrong. Gilbert Soares and Mark C. Walrig, who has a new podcast on Anchor, The Yawning Owlbear. Check it out. So until I see you folks next time, keep the dice warm and I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Questions? Comments? Send them to oldmangrognard at gmail.com. We'll see you next time when Radio Grognard is on the air.